Our guest now, a man with many strings to his bow, born in 1945, if you don't mind me saying, John. Dr John Gillies was educated at St Andrews College where he discovered his love of art while studying uh, figure drawing under the sculptor Tom Taylor. But it wasn't art that became his first career. He attended Otago University Medical School, graduating in the early 70s, and after a short stint in Vietnam uh, with the New Zealand Combined Services Medical Team. He went on to become the Clinical Director of Respiratory Medicine for the Canterbury District Health Board, as it then was, before retiring in 2006. He never let his love of art fade, however, and throughout his time as a medical professional, John regularly created and exhibited new paintings. He even credits his artistic practice with making him a better doctor. Entirely by accident, John also became the founder and the president of the New Zealand Association of Artist Doctors. This organisation provides our doctors with a much-needed creative outlet and camaraderie. Dr John Gillies is with us to talk about all this and the book he's produced, Skipper's Canyon, which showcases his lifelong love of this iconic gorge. John, good morning. Welcome. Good Good morning, Catherine. You really discovered this passion for art and drawing early in life. When did it really click for you? Well, I think it started roughly about the age of 12. Um, I happened to be fossicking in the uh, attic of my uh, of our home, and I discovered my granddad Frederick Grisham's paint box. And in it, there was an interesting little instrument which looked like a, a mini trowel. And I asked my mother, you know, what would you use, use this for? And she said, oh, no, you mix paint with that and you can apply it to the uh, canvas. So I, being fascinated, I was absolutely determined to give it a go. But it was not until some years later after I got my driving licence and um, drove my mother to her favourite painting places that I decided to give it a go. So I, I got his paint box out and uh, bought myself some uh, oil pad and away I went. My first painting of um, of Lake Wanaka <clears throat> was interesting because uh, I did it with the palette knife and uh, in reflection, although it's not, not a good painting, but still I can see there that I had this sort of innate idea of perspective and, and I think that's probably what was important and what drove me to continue. Particularly important when you're a landscape artist? Exactly, yes. In fact, I've spoke to a um, uh, an architect and he said, yes, when we line up the students for architecture, <clears throat> we make them do drawings and if they have zero idea of perspective, he said, look, you're wasting your time. You really need to you need to nail this before you'll be eligible so perspective is a very important component in landscape painting and that that really is my main interest and what is that particular skill of it is it the ability to see where something sits relative to something else is it the ability to create that sense of depth what is it yes it's it's all of the above but it's um it's, 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 it's a way of identifying a scene and firstly deciding what it is that really turns you on. What, what is the magic of the scene? Because as you know, most scenes are full of so much detail that you can't possibly represent them. But there'll be aspects of scenes that really grab you. And that's what's important. Then comes the perspective. How do you represent those with depth and feeling? And I think that's what's important when you're painting, because we're not just showing photographs. We're showing an emotive response to a situation which is unique. 
You have a distinctive style relying heavily on the palette knife. And how did you discover this technique? Yeah, well, that was a rather circuitous path, I have to admit. I, uh, I, ha- having found this little knife when I was young and having done quite a lot of paintings in it in my early teens, by the time I reached my early 20s, I happened to be in Invercargill one day and I, was, I went to the late Peter Beadle's studio and uh, I, I was keen on, I bought one of his paintings actually and I said to him, look, I have been painting myself, would you care to have a look at one or two? And he said, yes. And he took one look at my palette knife paintings and said, throw the palette knife away. And I thought, holy hell. Uh, but he said, gain confidence with the use of the brush then come back and use the palette knife to highlight what you really want to do. And he showed me some of the examples that he had done this. So um, that was actually incredibly good advice. It was hard advice, but it was important. And whenever I teach uh, students, the very first thing I do is make absolutely sure that they've nailed the use of the brush first. Then I progress with palette knife technique. However, in later years, uh, when good artists appeared from all over the place, I suddenly realised what I really wanted to do. What was what was specific about the palette knife is that it made me produce a very special texture. It's almost impasto. You layer on huge lumps of paint. And the difference between uh, that and brush painting is you then mix the paint on the canvas. It's almost you, you blend the paint in with what's already there. You end up with huge uh, uh, texture and you use the edge of the knife to create definition. So I thought those two aspects of palette knife painting were absolutely vital and very special. So it's texture and definition. That's what I'm aiming for. It's uh, it's it's, inter- it's such a remarkable technique. You work in oil, one presumes, so you've got plenty of um, medium to to, to, to manoeuvre. But how you yeah. achieve the precision of colour transition and depth of colour? I suppose it is similar to what an artist a- achieves with a brush. Um, but you it, you you are doing this with what is effectively a, a butter knife. Or is yeah, it a little a is trowel? It, yeah, it's like a trowel. It reminds me of of watching um, the wonderful um, skill of um, of a plasterer at work. Plasterer. Mm. Well, absolutely correct. That's exactly right. And, and I'm a mini plasterer, if you like, and I plaster the paint on the canvas. Um, but you've got to be careful that uh, you have to be careful about mixing the colours and making them accurate. And I'm. I might just remember reading uh, an artist, uh, Douglas Badcock. He said, oh, painting's easy. He said, all you have to do is mix the right colours and put them in the right place. Of course, that was a fatuous comment. (laughs) There's a lot more to it than that. All right. Let's talk perhaps about the first career and then how they so beautifully have, I guess... um one hope supported each other, which is something I'd really like to discuss further with you. Uh, initially training as a doctor and then becoming a specialist in, in, in respiratory health, were you from a family of doctors or was this a, um, you know, a, 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 an always wanted to be type choice? Well, um, for me, it, it was rather odd, really. You, the, the first answer to your first question was no. Um, Dad told me that that. Oh, traditionally, because we're, we're we're Scottish of origin, 
traditionally, there's always uh, a lawyer, a minister, and a doctor in the family, but I didn't really take a lot of notice of that. Now, my interest in medicine actually arose from uh, attending my grandfather. Now, he had a gangrenous toe, and uh, everyone, no, nobody could bear to look at it, but I had to look at it and thought, oh, no, that just needs cleaning up and dressing, and I can do that, and uh, and I did that. And I was only a youngster, but I, I certainly I didn't. That didn't worry me. And I thought, gee, you know, medicine looks like quite a good uh, career to me. And I guess that set me going. And I was only about age seven at that stage, as far as I can recall. So yes, I had it in my mind that that was always what I wanted to be. But I knew that art would always be uh, an accompaniment and a very important one. How did they work together? Did they support each other? Well, yes, there's a lot written about that. Uh, And Peter Senior, a guy from uh, the UK, came across to New Zealand about 30 years ago, and he gave a lecture on the healing qualities of art. And he showed how art and hospitals have changed from scenes depicting the afterlife to scenes that gave people pleasure and hope and 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 promoted healing so i think the the shift in the representation of art in our hospitals was was quite magic at that stage um i always believed that uh art was important not only because artists art helps with problem solving and uh, critical thinking communication but it most importantly it promotes self-esteem and self-confidence. And you've got to keep in mind the fact that decisions in medicine are predominantly based uh, on probability. So you're not going to get everything correct every time. You'll get mostly, but not every time. And so there is that avenue of stress. So you do need to have some sort of balance. And this is where art steps in. And it is very important because it helps promote your own self-esteem when you're feeling feeling a bit low. The other absolutely vital, important thing is that medicine nowadays is about shared care. And one could argue, well, anyone could uh, use art as a way of diffusing stress in the occupation. And I think that is correct. And I'm (laughs) reminded when, when... our hall needed uh, repair because there was a leak in the downstairs bathroom. Um, in walked a tiler who, frankly, looked as if he could have been a, a great front row forward for the Crusaders. But we got talking. He saw some of my art on the wall. He got talking away, and, and he showed me some of the art that he was doing with his tiles. And uh, I'm pretty sure he had tongue-in-cheek for most of them. There were, there were fried eggs made into parachutes and things like that. But one of them really stood stood out in my mind uh, and it was called Anchored and uh, Jenny and I my wife Jenny and I really loved that work and we bought that and that now is firmly anchored in our hallway wall. So here's a a guy in an occupation non-medical who uses art for to diffuse the sort of stress of his daily routine. He'd probably be pretty good with a palette palette knife one imagines. He would be superb. (laughs) In fact, I did, I, it was rather funny because I, I designed his signature logo. <laughs> anyway, 
we um but in medicine is a, is a little bit unique and why is it unique well medicine these days is about shared care uh no longer can doctors provide 24/7 care for their patients all the time i can remember doing that when i was younger i ran the uh, cromwell hospital and um i was on call 24 hours 40 hours per day and i can remember in the middle of the night i'd be called to a train accident in the cromwell valley and i'd have to ring up my head nurse and away we would go and go and find you know bits and pieces of people being injured i'd have to those that could i would take them back to the cromwell hospital i would do the x-ray i would do the reduction in the in the dislocation and everything and patch people up and then uh, go to sleep and then face a busy clinic next day Uh, and this would go on all the time you can't i was young and capable capable of uh, doing that but you can't do that as you get older and the statistics show that people who try to do that their lives are shorter so medicine rightly has become a process of shared care now that means that um people are communicating with each other what better way of communication than to have people sharing their artistic talents and this is really the basis for the, the uh, New Zealand Association of Artists Doctors because here we are we have uh, a an activity which is professionally neutral where people of all you know, I've had the dean of the medical school uh acting out uh the rocky horror music uh, show you know the just a step to the right just a step to the left of the rest of the crew were consultants were uh registrars and even students and and it was just great to witness these guys seeing that this this fellow the dean he, he was a real guy he's a real person and uh, the communication was incredible so um and the association has moved from strength to strength and we can talk about that if you would like well i'm delighted to find out how you found out about it in the first place um or rather how you rather quickly became the head of the new zealand branch please <laughs> <laughs> well it was rather amusing um i happened to be in the library one day uh this is the days when the library wasn't your cell phone um this is this is the days when you had to go up in the library and you you thumb through the indica index medicus to find the the journal and often you'd find that some other bugger had got the journal and you had to wait for it before you could read it uh but anyway this day, particular day uh i noticed an article from the international association of artists doctors based in uh, barcelona and um i i thought well, maybe they are just medical medical illustrators so i i dropped them a line and then and a few weeks later i got this reply it was written in spanish but i i, I got the uh, I, i got the message that I, i'd just been appointed the il presidente della associazione de medici dottore nuova zelandia you know the I, i'd been I had been elected the president of the New Zealand Association of Artists Doctors. So uh, when the mirth settled and I thought well wait a minute this this, this could be uh, quite valuable I then spoke to some like-minded individuals and we formed a group we established a constitution uh we advertised what we were doing our first uh, event was um in 1969 
which was a, doc, a display of doctors' artworks. And then we decided it was time to have a show. So we got together uh, performers, and uh, the next year in the Arts Centre, we advertised our show, and within four days, the whole place was sold out, and it has moved from strength to strength. Now we have a 50-piece orchestra, and we have individuals, we have uh, small groups, uh, individual singers who uh, can sing opera or, or jazz or whatever. So it's a variety show. There are, you know, from from rock music to uh, orchestral works, um, and uh, it has become highly popular. And last year, our feature item. Uh, was the uh, Finlandia, and that was we decided to do a little tribute to Ukraine, and Finlandia became part of that. And uh, somebody sang uh, an opera aria, uh, a Ukrainian opera aria. So um, it, it's about. It sounds as if it's just doctors having fun together, and it and it is doctors having fun together. But more importantly, it is doctors working together. Be appreciating each other's artistic talents in a neutral environment uh, and who benefits. We believe that the people in the end who benefit are the patients whom we all serve. Our guest is John Gillies, uh, who uh, is the vice president now of the association of, <laughs> um, I'm just going to get its order right, Association of Artists <laughs> Doctors, uh, an artist yes. himself, Skipper's Canyon is the book, History, Art and Architecture, that brings together his art as a, as a palette um, painter, mainly is his main tool. Uh, and his great passion also for Skipper's Canyon in central Otago. Uh, you have quite the history with this as well. Uh, I, I was just telling colleagues I love Central, but I don't think I've ever been over the Skipper's Road. Oddly, I've run it on a treadmill because it's, yeah. it's you know, it's you know, treadmills give you run around Auckland Central or somewhere in the South Island. I've I've run Skipper's Canyon on a treadmill. Oh, really? But it's um, I didn't, it's got quite. I the, didn't know that. Yeah, you know that is it's got quite the history and quite a notoriety in parts yes. for the narrowness of the yes. road. Can you explain its history, John? Yes. Well, I mean. Firstly, where is it? For those who are not sure, um, it's in the uh, Queenstown backcountry, if you like, and it was formed by the Shotover River, which starts from uh, the Loch Nagger um, uh, at the base of the uh, Southern Alps and courses its way uh, through the vast gorge right through to uh, Lake Wakatipu uh, in Queenstown. So that's where it is. Um, and it consists of a road which commences at the top of the road that takes you to uh, Coronet Peak Ski Field. Of course, everyone knows where that is. And once you get to this turnoff, you then go over a saddle and then you descend into into the uh, into the canyon. And then you have a reasonably rough ride. It's not a place where you want to take an ordinary motor car. And my journeys were all with the aid of a friend who had a four-wheel drive and chains because uh, we went in midwinter and I wouldn't necessarily advise people to do that because, you know, it is slightly dangerous and we did face the odd slip. Uh, <laughs> a few other stories I could tell you, but I don't want to put people off. Uh, but, 
but it's a it, it, it's a journey that requires a fairly robust vehicle, uh, but it is utterly utterly spectacular, and um, and you would never be everywhere you go. There is a different scene, uh, and it is definitely worth worth the journey. We went right to the end to the uh, to the branches station. Uh, and beyond that to the Pole Noon and really uh, up to the Tarn where you get a view up the north. But I think for most people, uh, I think the end point would probably be around Campbell Saddle and uh, going up to the Branches Station. I think uh, you would have got your fill by the time you'd reached that. The rock formations are spectacular uh, in parts as well. But stay with the history a little. I think you first visited on your honeymoon. This might be one of the stories you were alluding to. <laughs> didn't, go uh, back, didn't go back yeah, for a while, that, John. Yes, that, yeah, that, that was a slight disaster. Uh, well, yeah, in my honeymoon, uh, I decided to take my beloved to Skippers Canyon because I, I knew about the Cameron and I loved it and I wanted to go there. I'd never been there and I was going to take her there as a treat. So off we went. and. Uh, I didn't really pick up. She was quite quiet as we were descending into the canyon. Uh, when we reached uh, one of the flats where the, the Welcome Home Hotel was, she she pointed out the old chimneys. I thought, oh, well, that's good. Then when we started to climb towards Pinch's Bluff, which is quite famous because of its height, a sheer drop down below about 100 metres to the river, suddenly she let out a scream. And I thought, what the heck's going on? And she... And she she refused to go anywhere, so I snapped at her. Well, you can damn well get out and walk. <laughs> so I thought, hell, this is going to be a, a very brief marriage. Um, anyway, I suddenly relented and thought, no, no, come on, you've you've misread. Jenny's got a definite and very real fear of heights, and that reared itself again when we went to a conference in uh, in Paris, and I tried to get her up the uh, Eiffel Tower. She did actually go. It was. Uh, um, but she stayed close to the central part when well, I managed to get her there. But she does have a genuine feel of height. So I knew then that, well, heck, uh, I'm going to have to go this alone. And it took 40 years before I then returned. And how do you do this in practice? Uh, are you just sketching? Because, again, I'm looking at this narrow road, and there might not be a lot of vehicles on it, but you wouldn't want to be um, sitting there when one comes along. Uh, how did you practically go about selecting the scenes and then do you sketch and work from sketch when you get home? How, how, how's, how's your practice? Well, the, the, the main photograph I take is in my mind. And that might sound, sound a fatuous comment, but that is really the important thing. It's what I see and what I want to represent. I do take photos, but they're just geographic reminders of of what I have seen, I've done sketches. I do sketches just to make sure that the uh, that the final work uh, does actually represent what I want it to. Um, and out of interest, I, just, I looked at all the sketches. Thought, oh gosh, they would be quite good accompaniments for, in the book. So I've I've included a lot of them and a few others that I didn't actually paint. Um, but basically, I think mainly I'm taking photographs and working from those. But the important thing is that I see the scene, that I recognise what it is that was magic about that scene and that which I want to represent to the viewer to share that magic. 
you've laid it out as a journey effectively, yes? You follow, do you follow the path that a, yes. tra- that, that a traveller would follow? Exactly. And that's, that was my intention right from the start. And when I looked at the collection of paintings, I said to myself, heck, I wonder if you are representing this journey accurately. And I went through the painting and thought, oh, look, this is fantastic. You've done one here, one there. Okay, you might have done two there, then then one, and then another one. So they are dotted all along the, the journey, and I've included a map, uh, a relief map, which uh, identifies where the paintings were taken. There are one or two clusters, and, and, and I make no apologies for those. I mean, around Mount Aurum, for instance, and... Uh, some of the interesting parts like uh, Stroll's Hut, which I just love, and, of course, uh, mo- a lot in the, the Branches Station because you've got so many buildings there and they are just so paintable. I just fell in love with them. <laughs> Lots of buildings, actually. I meant to mention that. Um, I mentioned in the introduction you served in the New Zealand Combined Services Medical Team during the Vietnam War. And your paintings from that period, I understand, have been sitting in your attic for the last 50 years. Do you have plans for them, John? Yes. Well, um, I volunteer. I was conscripted to do national service, so I had no choice. And I was delegated to the uh, Targa University Medical Company uh, to do that over a five-year interval. And uh, in my fifth year of medical training, uh, a few of us were offered the opportunity to provide relief for the medical services team in South Vietnam. Uh, and uh, I put my hand up and uh, away I went. Now, I have to be honest that all my life, uh, I've really wanted to be a war artist. <laughs> there was that part of me that was uh, gnawing away. Uh, and so I saw this as the opportunity to to achieve that. So any moralistic issues which with I should have grappled and you know argued, uh, they were set aside. They were rent null and void. I, I, I was I made a personal decision that I wanted to do that. And how was I going to do that? Well, um, of course you've, got, you've only got a kit bag, so I managed to squeeze into my kit bag some roll rolls of Conte. Uh, pastel paper, um, a box of hard pastels, because I knew that the soft ones would crumple and that would be useless, um, and uh, a can of fixative spray and a pad and borrow pens, and off I went to war, basically. <laughs> so, so that was uh, an interesting experience. And I managed, I got quite a good reception there. I managed to collect 10 portraits of Vietnamese civilians and one uh, Arvin soldier who happened to be our interpreter. And when I reviewed them, that the, the, the collection actually tells a story, and it tells an important story. We had, I had patients there. I had our interpreter. I had uh, the cleaner who used to um, clean our quarters and cooks and things like that. So I, I selected a variety of uh, individuals. They were all Vietnamese, of course. Um, and I also went out and did drawings on location. And I must have driven my driver potty because we would be driving along from one place to another. You know, we don't often have to do meds of aid program. So off we went with our, with our medicines and tools and so on. And then I would see a scene. I'd say, look, stop. You know, Gordon, can you stop here? I just want to do a quick sketch. 
And uh, one of them, of course, took several minutes and he said, sir, look, I'm sorry, we better move on because the stationary target, uh, you know, is is good for a sniper. So um, I I was limited in that respect. Um, And uh, but I managed to collect uh, 22 uh, drawings. The Americans used to love them. And so I ended up giving them a lot of them in exchange for food and stuff. Um, because we went fed terribly well, um, and uh, so, but but they remained in my attic, along with the story. I wrote the story of the experience, um, and with with my teammate, we we both sat down and exchanged ideas, and I wrote the story uh, with the intention of publishing the book at the time, but there was another book. Uh, published called Letters from a Vietnam Hospital by A&H and A.W. Reed, and that made a loss, and so Reed weren't keen to publish anything else. Yeah. So I tucked this up and put it away in the in the attic. The The general feeling about Vietnam was pretty negative at the time, so I thought, well, okay. Now uh, people are starting to travel to Vietnam, and they're loving it, and the people are welcoming. The trip is often cheap and uh, people have an incredible time they love it the interesting thing of course is that uh, nobody's allowed to talk about the war and all that does is stimulate interest in what what was the war all about so i thought well damn it i let's take this out and and think about it so i got in touch with my colleague again and uh, for a few ideas extra ideas and i completed uh, 22 chapters and got together the 10 portraits and all the drawings um, and selected photographs which i thought were relevant to each chapter for instance uh, at one stage uh, the the hospital doctor guy dr hip uh, managed to go off the main highway and end up in a rice paddy with his <laughs> with an ambulance with the nose and the water and the and the back wheels spinning around in the air. So we had to go and rescue this. Um, and I've got photographs of that. Wow. Um, so, John, this is so, coming as a book, all of this? Yeah, this is coming as a book, but it won't be out until about March or so. Good uh, on you. So, uh, and congratulations hmm. on the one that is out, Skipper's Canyon.